morning we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. Your word tells us that you inhabit the praises of your people. And as we are gathered as a faith family, proclaiming your goodness, proclaiming your majesty in a way in which we can't fully articulate, you are here. You're here. And we're grateful for your presence. And we're grateful for your word. It is a, a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We're grateful for your word, and we ask that you would take your word by your spirit and apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that we might be changed today. I pray in the name of Jesus that all would fall upon this congregation. And that we would leave this place with hearts overflowing with amazement. And hearts overflowing with adoration for you. So, Lord, just have your way in our midst during this time. I ask that you would establish my steps in your word, and we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Luke has written for us an account of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. He begins his gospel narrative by telling the story of the events that surrounded the birth of John the Baptist and the events that surrounded the birth of Jesus Christ. And we see here in this interchange between the angel Gabriel and the Virgin Mary, the doctrine of the virgin birth emerge. And we learn something of what it's all about and why it is important from this text and other texts of Scripture. So I want to share with you three aspects of the virgin birth that we need to understand so that we can have awe in our lives as we think about it. Number one, I want you to see that the virgin birth is a mandate to be believed. 
a mandate to be believed. If you are a Christian, belief in the virgin birth is not optional. The, the, the doctrine of the virgin birth is not on the periphery of the Christian faith. It is central to who Jesus is and what Jesus Christ has done for us. Or let me say it uh, to even a greater degree. If it were not for the virgin birth, there would be no salvation. There would be no eternal life. There would, there would be no forgiveness. You say, wait, why is that the case? Well, look what the Bible says with me in verse 34. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a son even though you've never been with a man. And Mary asks a question, which I believe is not a doubting question, but just an, uh, you know, an informational question. Uh, how's it going to happen? She, she knows a little bit about biology, and she understands that this, this is, is something that is beyond her comprehension. So she says in verse 34, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And Gabriel explains to her how the Holy Spirit would come upon her and overshadow her, and it would happen miraculously in her womb by the power of God. And look how Mary responds in verse 38. Mary said, Behold, the bond slave or the servant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. In other words, she's saying there, I believe you. Now I'm a surrendered vessel. What you say goes, God. And if this is what you want to happen in my life, let it happen. This is a statement of faith, a statement of belief. Look what happens in verse 39. She goes and visits her cousin, Elizabeth. At this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, who was John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Now look what she says about Mary in verse 45. And blessed is he, is she who believed, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. So Mary heard that there was going to be a virgin birth, and she believed it. She believed God. And in a similar way, when we read about the virgin birth, we hear about the virgin birth, we are called to believe it. Belief in this doctrine is not optional. Now, if you look there in your notes, to kind of sum up this doctrine, the Bible teaches clearly that Jesus was conceived in the womb of a virgin named Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit and without a human father. The, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus was conceived in the womb of a virgin named Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit and without a human father father. Now let me share with you why this is so important. The virgin birth, first of all, points to the humanity of Christ. That Jesus Christ is fully human. Look what the Bible says there in verse 31. Gabriel says to Mary, behold, you, Mary, she was a, a human, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. So we know that Mary is, is the mother of of this one who is to be born. And so she, Jesus would be born to a, a human mother, hence it would speak of his humanity. Now, why is that important? Why, why is this such a big deal? As fully man, Jesus could be our substitute. In order for God's justice to be satisfied, 
and our sins to be pardoned, a human would have to die for humans. That's how it works. That's justice. And so for Jesus to die in our place, he had to be human. Hence the virgin birth. Jesus Christ left the splendor and glory of heaven and took on flesh, took on humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And he was born, he was born fully human as our substitute. But not only does the virgin birth point to the humanity of Christ, it points to the deity of Christ. Look in verse 32. Gabriel says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Not only will he be your son, Mary, fully human, he will be the Son of God, fully God. Now, you understand that before Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, he existed. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ has always existed. Before his incarnation, he existed from eternity past. And the virgin birth was when Jesus left heaven and took on humanity. But he did not cease being God. He was conceived in the womb of Mary by the power of the Spirit as the Son of God. This speaks of his deity. So, as fully God, Jesus could be our sacrifice. Fully man, he could be our substitute. Fully God, he could be our sacrifice. You know, God is infinitely holy. His holiness knows no boundaries, right? So when we sin against an infinitely holy God, you know what we deserve? We deserve infinite punishment. And for someone to pay for our sins, for someone to pay our sin debt, which is infinite, someone who is infinite himself must pay that price, i.e., God. So for our debt to be paid, our infinite debt to be paid, the infinite God had to come and pay that debt. That's why the virgin birth is so important. For the cross to have any meaning, for the cross to have any efficacy in our lives, for the cross to provide our salvation, the one dying on the cross for our sins had to be fully human, dying for humans, and fully God paying the infinite debt that you and I owe, right? This is why there's such a big deal. If you take away either the humanity of Christ or the deity of Christ, then the cross has no meaning. I love what Wayne Grudem says in his systematic theology. He writes, Because we were alienated from God by sin, we needed someone to come between God and ourselves and bring us back to Him. We needed a mediator who could represent us to God and who could represent God to us. There's only one person who has ever fulfilled that requirement. And he quotes 1 Timothy 2.5. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And Grudem goes on to write, In order to fulfill this role of mediator, Jesus had to be fully man as well as fully God. That's why the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is such a big deal. Now, here's the troubling thing. We see how important this is. How our eternity, our forgiveness, our salvation is contingent upon Jesus Christ being 100% God and 100% man. But what's troubling is this doctrine in our society is often denied. If you look at their notes, it's often denied. Look in 1 John chapter 4 with me near the backs of your Bible. 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to show you how we should not be surprised when people deny 
the doctrine of the virgin birth. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. John warns us that there would be people that would deny the essentials of Jesus coming to earth. The, the doctrine of the virgin birth, that, that Jesus left the splendor and glory of heaven as fully God and took on full humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And in our day, this is happening. People are denying this critical doctrine. Classrooms in universities and colleges, even Christian universities and colleges, are filled with professors who are anti-supernaturalists. They don't believe in the supernatural. They don't believe in the miraculous. They don't believe in what the Bible clearly states. And so they are before our young people systematically, categorically denying things like the virgin birth and telling our young people that it's a myth and it's legend and it didn't really happen. It was an add-on to the story. Yes, Jesus was a historical person that did some nice things and, and shared some nice teachings, but he was not born of a virgin. That's not true. That's what many anti-supernaturalist professors say. And it's troubling how that is such a pervasive idea in our culture. But I want you to understand that anti-supernaturalists are not just in the, le the, the, the lecture halls of universities and colleges. They're anti-supernaturalists in pulpits. Pastors who claim to represent God. Who would deny the veracity of passages like Luke chapter 1. That Jesus Christ was conceived in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit and born to this virgin. They would deny that. And they would lead many people astray. We need to understand that, that this doctrine, which is so critical to our faith, is often denied. We need to be ready for that and know what we believe and know why this is a big deal and know why it's important. But not only is the doctrine of the virgin birth denied... Maybe even in a more troubling sense because it's more, it's more, um, it's more uh, sneaky. The doctrine of the virgin birth is often just downplayed. Down, not, not that big of a deal. Let's focus on the other things. Let's not focus on this doctrine. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. Pretty clear. If you don't believe all that God has revealed about his Son, you're calling God a liar. That's pretty serious, right? And if you want to downplay this doctrine, you're calling God a liar. You're saying it's not that big of a deal. And we see in our culture this move to say, you know... There, there are more important parts of the Bible we need to focus on. Let's, let's don't get so caught up in all this talk of an incarnation and virgin birth. Let's, let's don't focus our thoughts on this doctrine when I've shown you how critical it really is for our eternal life, right? Years ago, I, I preached a revival in a church, and in that revival, I mentioned a man's name, 
Rob Bell, and, and, and at that time, Rob Bell was a very popular uh, pastor. He had written books that were in our Christian bookstores, and he was, he was on a troubling trajectory, doctrinally. He was saying some things that were very disturbing. For example, one of his books is a bestseller in Christian circles. says something to this effect. You know what? If, if we find out that Jesus Christ had a human father, is, that, is it that big of a deal? Will my faith crumble if I discover that Jesus Christ had a human father? I mean, is it that big of a deal... And, and what he was saying is, I could just go on being a Christian even if I discovered that Jesus Christ had a human dad. No big deal. Just downplaying the virgin birth. And I read that and I thought, what? If it were not for the virgin birth, if it were not for the incarnation, if it were not for the fact that Jesus Christ was 100% God, 100% man, you could not be saved. It's a huge deal. And I preached this in a church, and after the sermon, I came down to the front, and the youth minister came up to me. And he chastised me. He said, you know, I've read his stuff, and he's got some really good things to say. And, you know, the body of Christ needs to hear what he's saying, his message. And, and he was basically saying I was a little too harsh on Rob Bell. Well, after that time, Rob Bell kept, stayed on that troubling trajectory, and he wrote some books that denied the doctrine of hell and, and opened the door for universality, that, that there's no such thing as the exclusivity of Christ, that even people that aren't Christians can kind of make it into heaven because, you know, God will let him do that. And he wrote all these really heretical things. And he's no longer under the, the banner of orthodoxy at all. I mean, he's, he's, he's gone, he's gone uh, down a very troubling road. And, and one day, somehow, I was on the internet, and I came across this youth minister and some of his social media stuff, and he was talking about how Rob Bell was a heretic. And if I could have somehow communicated with him at that moment, I would have said, sinfully, but I would have said, told you so. <laughs> it's a slippery slope, isn't it? When you want to start saying, well, virgin birth, not that big of a deal. What's the next major doctrine you're going to deny? Either God's word is true or it's not. Either we believe it or we don't. And so... We need to hold up this doctrine as important. If you look there in your notes, while there is mystery that surrounds the doctrine of the virgin birth, the incarnation, we can joyfully believe because of the truth of God's Word. We, do we understand it all? No. No, we don't. We understand what happened, and, and, and we understand kind of how God made it happen, power of the Holy Spirit, but we don't understand it all. I've been reading some theology this week about the hypostatic union of Christ and the two natures of Christ in one person, and, and it just makes your head hurt, all of the, all the writing, all the stuff out there about this, and we don't understand it all, but we know it's true because God said it. I think a quote from Adrian Rogers that he said about the doctrine of the Trinity applies here. Adrian Rogers said... Try to explain it, you will lose your mind. Try to explain it away, you will lose your soul. He was speaking of the doctrine of the Trinity, but that applies to the doctrine of the Incarnation as well. Try to explain it, I mean, try to figure it all out, you'll lose your mind. But if you explain it away, if you deny it, if you downplay it, you will miss eternal life, you'll miss heaven, you'll miss salvation because it's so crucial who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us on the cross. So, the virgin birth is a mandate to be believed. Number two, the virgin birth is a miracle to be treasured. A miracle to be treasured. Look back with me in Luke chapter 1. 
Look in verse 34, Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Holy Spirit, uh, the Gabriel says, you're going to have a son. Mary asked the obvious question, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered her and said to her, Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will, will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So we know that, that Gabriel explains to her how this was going to happen. Then look what he says in verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. That's it right there. That's what we're saying. This was a miracle. And it was a miracle that happened in Mary's womb because God is all-powerful and can perform miracles. Amen? Nothing is impossible with God. It is a miracle to be treasured. The reality of the virgin birth ought to fill us with wonder. Have you lost your wonder this Christmas season? Have you lost your awe? The, the reality of this doctrine should fill our hearts with wonder. Look at Mary's response after she talks to Elizabeth and knows that she's with child in verse 46. This is called the Magnificat, a song of praise. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Let me ask you a question about your Christmas season so far. Is your soul exalting the Lord? Is your spirit rejoicing in God, your Savior? Has your heart been captured anew and afresh with wonder? That's what happened in Mary's life when she understood what was happening, when she understood that God had done it, nothing was impossible with God, then she is filled with wonder. Now, let, let me give you a couple of insights that can help you to treasure this miracle, help you understand how incredible it is. Number one, I want you to think about the condescension of Christ. The condescension of Christ. We think a lot about the Christmas story, the nativity, the night Christ was born. A couple years later, the wise men come. We know all of that. We, we know about his arrival, but I think we don't think enough about what he left. Before Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, he existed forever. For eternity past, he existed. And for all of eternity, before the incarnation, you know what Jesus Christ experienced? He experienced unceasing worship. The angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Constantly, His, his worth was being ascribed by the angels. He was treasured for who He was. The worship He deserved was being offered to Him. But he left that. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, Though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor. Though he enjoyed the riches and the splendor of, of heavenly worship, he took on the poverty of humanity. And he came to live among a people that would scorn him and beat him and mock him and crucify him. So why would he leave the, the splendor and glory of heaven for earth's rejection? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Think about what he left. He left his throne to come and take on humanity. And he knew what that would mean for his life. 
He knew the suffering that would come as a result of him taking on human flesh. The condescension of Christ. But also think about the conception of Christ. In human history, at a point in human history, the Holy Spirit, by His power, caused Jesus to to leave heaven and take on humanity in the womb of Mary. Look what it says there in verse 35. Gabriel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Think about the the miracle of that conception. Fullness of God. Wrapped in human flesh in the womb of a virgin. The Holy Spirit did that by His power. The virgin birth, the incarnation is a miracle to be treasured. I like what the old hymn says, Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time behold Him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Martin Luther wrote this in the 16th century. Truly it is marvelous in our eyes that God should place a little child in the lap of a virgin. And that all our blessedness should lie in Him. Truly it is marvelous in our eyes that God should place a little child in the lap of a virgin. And that all our blessedness should lie in Him. God gave. His son, who had taken on human flesh to a virgin. And all of our hope, all of our life, all of our salvation is found in him. Have you lost the wonder of this miracle? The virgin birth is a a mandate to be believed. It's not optional, but it's also a miracle to be treasured. And then third and last, it is a message to be proclaimed. A message to be proclaimed. Look what the Bible says in verse 31 of Luke 1. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him, what? Jesus. Now this is an important detail, because Gabriel told Joseph, Mary's fiancé, the same thing. He told Joseph that his fiancée, even though she was a virgin, was going to have a baby. And he told Joseph, you are to make sure his name is Jesus. And he explains to Joseph why he wanted the name Jesus. He says, for he will save his people from their sins. This points to the meaning of the name Jesus. The name Jesus simply means the Lord saves. what it means. The Lord saves. And so Jesus was going to be born of the Virgin Mary for a purpose, for a reason. You might say it like this. He was born under the shadow of the cross. He was born to die. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. What does that mean for you and for me, that no Christ? We've been saved. We've been born again. It means that we should be passionate in proclaiming that Christ has come. 
and has accomplished everything necessary to save us. The Christmas season, the Christmas story should reignite in our hearts a passion, a fire, a burning to get this message out. To share this wonderful story. J. Oswald Smith wrote this. We speak of the second coming. Half the world has never heard of the first. What a convicting quote. You know what? If we put a sign up on the corner of the property and said, we're going to have a one-week prophecy conference. We're going to talk about end-time scenarios and rapture and, and tribulation and second coming and millennial reign of Christ. And we, I bet we'd fill up this room every night. Because people are fascinated by the end times unfolding of events. And they ought to be. It's, it's fascinating. But, but we need to understand that billions have never even heard of the first coming. They don't know that the Son of God left the splendor and glory of heaven and wrapped Himself in humanity and grew up and lived a perfect life and willingly went to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And after He died, He was buried. And early on the third day, He rose from the dead. Billions have never heard that story. That Christ has come, a Savior has come, hope has come, the Prince of Peace has come. It'd be like corners of this world still struggling with polio because they don't have access to the vaccine. There are people all over our world that are dying and going to hell. Spending eternity separated from God because they don't have access to the gospel. Imagine never having heard the story of the Virgin Mary giving birth to Jesus. Never having heard of the wise men or the shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Imagine never having heard that and the rest of the gospels as well. The sacrificial work of Jesus on our behalf. Imagine, imagine never having heard that story. That's the case with many in our world. And so, wait, what should the Christmas season mean to us? It should mean that we double down when it comes to missions. We have a desire to give more than we've ever given before, to, to go more than we've ever gone before, to send folks out, to pray like we've never prayed before. For those that are serving uh, planning their lives to get the gospel to unreached peoples. And, and, and we're asking the Lord to send out more folks into the harvest. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And to be willing to be the, the answer to that prayer, God, send me. While we talk about the second coming, billions have never heard of the first. So the Christmas story is all about missions, right? Jesus coming to be our Savior. It's all about the gospel. And so we see that 
The virgin birth of Christ is a mandate to be believed. It is a miracle to be treasured. And oh, dear friends, it is a message that we need to proclaim with urgency and with passion. 